There are moments in history that stand the test of time. Held forever in the collective human conscience, these are the moments that inspire, unite, and embiggen us all. On July 16, 1969, it was the first human steps on the face of the moon. On November 9, 1989, it was the fall of the Berlin Wall. And just last week, on the 2nd of September, 2022, it was me opening my interview with Queensland's Chief Justice like this. The jacket and the glasses and the hair. (laughs) Oh, you're fabulous. Wow, there must be something wrong with that recording because it makes me sound like an idiot. Do you feel like a complete and utter muppet? I see reading law books on the weekend going, oh god, this is interesting. <laughs> they've, they've amended section 127. This was supposed to send you off on a good note, not a <laughs> thinking about climate change. You're listening to The Briefcase. Welcome to episode 6 of The Briefcase. It is Friday, 9 September. I am Sarah. I am your host. And it is indeed that time of the week when I get to ask my very favourite question. What's in The Briefcase this week? Well, in case you couldn't guess from that opening soliloquy, it is my interview with Chief Justice Helen Boskill of the Supreme Court of Queensland. And how could I possibly edit this one down to 15 minutes? Well, I couldn't. So it's a double length episode. So without further listening to my own voice, I give you an audience with the Chief Justice. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be involved in your podcast, which I think is an excellent idea. Look, I, I, <laughs> it's, 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 it's recorded, people. That's, it's, 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 that's so kind. Thank you so much. So what are we talking about today? Well, I did try and think of something inspirational, but I had a bit of difficulty, and I don't think that's because there haven't been inspirational things. I just think there have been a lot, so it's hard to had to choose from. So keeping in mind the description that you gave me of the aim of your podcast as being practical, up-to-date information for general practitioners, I thought I would say something about the applications list in the Supreme Court. Yes. And in particular, the new practice direction number 12 of 2022. Yes. That was recently published on the 21st of June this year. Fantastic. So hot off the press. Hot-ish. Hot-ish. Yes, we're September. <laughs> that's scary. Hmm. So, Your Honour, what uh, is it about that particular practice direction that stands out to you at this point in time? Well, it endeavours to gather together all of the practical expectations of the court yes. in relation to the filing and hearing of applications in that busy, dynamic jurisdiction yes. to perhaps clarify the expectations that might have been forgotten a little bit especially in those fluid times that we were all reacting to during the pandemic. It's a reminder, I think, also of Rule 5 of the Uniform Civil Procedure Rules that everyone knows. It just rolls off the tongue easily, but sometimes I think we need to reread it to remember the obligation that has been imposed on all of us, the judges, the lawyers, the parties which is all about facilitating the just and expeditious resolution of the real issues in a dispute at a minimum of expense. That's a very salient reminder and I think something that a lot of lawyers would bear 
hearing and revisiting. I'm not sure if Your Honour has any particular perspectives on the current state of collegiality in the profession and how much time gets taken up with interactions between opposing solicitors on either side of a dispute, ultimately driven, I suspect, by ego and not the expeditious resolution of the matter at hand. Well, I have two perspectives about that, actually. One is that I see um, great demonstrations of collegiality and and that's the case on the courts as well as within the profession. And actually the president of the Queensland Law Society, Cara Thompson, said a lovely thing at one of our most recent swearing-in ceremonies, which was to comment on the demonstrable collegiality of the court on that occasion and how that influences the profession. Mm. And when I had the opportunity to speak at the QLS Excellence in Law Awards, I was effectively saying, well, right back at you, because, you know, your displays as, as practitioners of collegiality also have an, an influence on the court. Mm. But you do make a valid point, and that is that there are times, not, not always the case, but there are times when ego does seem to get into, in the way and people want to have narky arguments about things or carry on about the contents of this letter or that letter Mm. and from the court's perspective really the care factor is nil (laughs) because all we're interested in is trying to resolve the dispute as quickly and efficiently and fairly as we can and we're not interested in the he said she said the he said she said uh, at all in the context of the applications jurisdiction it's it's busy there's a lot of work to get through and that's just a time waster. Mm. Um, so really, practitioners are much better served focusing on the law, the evidence, and m- making their submissions to persuade the judge on that basis and not worrying about all the peripheral peripheral things that just don't matter in the big scheme at all. They don't, and they don't advance the matter at all. Mm. Mm. Do you still see amongst um, practitioners who appear before you, there's a little bit of whispering under their breath, towards each other I, I, I note that you're on his eyebrows just raised <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely that um still goes on and it shouldn't hmm. whenever I've participated in an advocacy course or something like that I always say to the participants you should come up here on the bench sit here and see what you can see and see what you can hear hmm. because Sitting on the bench, you can see and hear everything. And it really only demeans the people doing it. Um, it doesn't make you look smart or clever or anything. It, it, it just makes you look foolish um, mm. and disrespectful. So I, I would definitely um, counsel against any of that kind of petty mm. behaviour. And equally, um, speaking over people, that that's, that's not a... A good thing either whether that's the judicial officer or your opponent mm. there's an order to the way that a an application or any other type of matter is heard in court everyone gets their say you don't need to worry that you won't be able to get your point across so you don't need to interrupt or butt in early mm. it works a lot better if you wait your turn mm. and avoid those kind of narky sidebar comments Mm-mm. well take note that her honour sees all from the bench so <laughs> i think that's a very um a very good reminder so we're chatting about a practice direction around applications 
So what are the key takeaways from that particular practice direction, Your Honour, that you'd like us to be aware of? So the practice direction deals with a number of things. The first of that is the filing of material, meaning Mm -hmm. affidavits, Mm -hmm. and it expressly states that you must file any affidavit material that you want to rely on at least two business days before the hearing. And if you haven't done that, you don't sneak it into the registry, you bring it to court and you apply for leave to file the material. That is is consistent with the Uniform Civil Procedure Rules requirements for, for service. And the point of it is to focus attention on ensuring you have the affidavit evidence to support the application mm. prepared well in advance and in sufficient time to enable your opponent to address that material and hopefully avoid unnecessary adjournments, which are just a waste of money mm. for the most important people who are your clients. Mm. It is also intended to prevent late filing of, of material and, and the assumption that you'll be able to read or rely on it. It's bringing home to practitioners that, that you need to seek leave to do that. Mm. Another problem that that is directed to, which is one of these things that developed through COVID, was where documents are emailed to a judge's associate and there's an assumption made that that is equivalent to filing a document and we're Mm. trying to reiterate that it's not. (laughs) I I want to make clear, and I've said this in a number of different contexts, that I'm the first person at the front of the line wishing we had electronic filing in the state courts and there is work uh, underway in relation to that and I'm doing whatever I can to advance that. But until we have that... The only way to file the document is in the registry or obviously by post and emailing a document is not the same thing. So Mm. that's one thing that we've addressed in the practice direction. Another thing that's addressed in the practice direction is the giving of a time estimate for the hearing. And the point has been made, this has to be uh, a reasonable and genuine time estimate that must take into account how long it will take the judge to read the material, hear the submissions and give an extemp decision if that's appropriate. It causes us a lot of difficulties when applications are filed with inaccurate or unrealistic time estimates. Mm. So we're trying to encourage perhaps clearer thinking about that. Mm. And of course, keep in mind if your application will really take more than two hours for all of that to happen, you should be filing it and asking that it be listed in the civil list, not in the applications list. The practice direction then deals with what do you do if the parties agree on an order ahead of time. Mm. You can send a draft consent order through to the associate to the senior judge sitting in applications and the practice direction puts out in black and white what you have to send. Importantly, it's a copy of the proposed order signed by or on behalf of all of the parties affected by it, indicating that they consent to it. So just one person sending an email with a Word document attached that says the parties have all agreed to this is not um, sufficient. We need to know, we need to see and be satisfied that there is actually consent and there's an expectation you'll do do that before four o'clock, the day before the hearing. (laughs) Again, lessons learned from COVID because there was flexibility and we were all trying to keep working despite the exigencies that that threw in our pathway, we were getting things emailed at 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night, people expecting not to turn up the next day because they'd emailed something at 8 o'clock the night before. (laughs) Um, So we're just trying to say, 
no. Um, Let's walk that back a little bit. Walk that back. Um, (laughs) Keep in mind, everyone's very busy in an applications week, the judge, the associate, the registry. And if you want something to happen, you need to do it in a a timely way. Mm. And of course, in saying that, keep in mind that only straightforward matters will be dealt with by a judge making an order on the papers like that even if everybody agrees if there's any anything substantive to it they're most likely to say well that we'll deal with it on the day of the hearing mm. and the practice direction notes that that whole procedure where you want where you provide a consent order is separate from the process for getting asking the registrar to make a consent order or the process under the rules which contemplates an application without an oral hearing. And I just thought I'd note, since I'm talking about practice directions, it's a good idea, I think, to go back and reread practice direction 4 of 2010, and that's the one that sets out what the registrar can do in making consent orders. There's a list. Okay. These type of, types of things are within the power of a registrar to make a consent order, and then there's another paragraph that says, and these things are not right so check that one before you ask the registrar to make a consent order let's refresh ourselves on that (laughs) (laughs) the practice direction then talks about you know other practical things call over and appearances and then importantly outlines of argument okay they're to be exchanged as early as practicable prior to the hearing and all i thought i would say about that is perhaps picking up the point that we were talking about earlier in the context of niggly Narky exchanges between lawyers and correspondents is that there's not there's no magic or trickery to applications that are de- determined. They'll be determined on the basis of the legal principles applied to the the facts of the case, which is established by the evidence. So there's no reason to keep your outline of argument up your sleeve <laughs> until the very last minute, because really, all you're doing is is preventing an open exchange of arguments if you don't exchange your submissions early and if anything you'll just cause delay because when the other side says oh well I've only just got their submissions the judge might go well I'll give you time to read them now (laughs) Um, so as I say I urge exchange of, of submissions as early as possible there's some suggestions in the practice direction about what might go into your submissions I emphasize make it really clear up front this is an application for whatever it is under whatever the, the legislation is. T- tell the court straight away what the legislative power or rule is mm. that you're asking to be exercised. Then tell the court why you say it should be exercised in the way that, that you're seeking. Mm. Concise and to the point is good. Mm. War and peace is bad. <laughs> yes. And the practice direction actually says, please keep it to no more than six pages. Submissions are often just far, far, far too long. But that's not persuasive drafting, is it? No, it's not persuasive drafting. It is death by a thousand pages of... <laughs> and that's just going, I imagine, going to irritate the court, not not persuade the court. No, not at all. Mm. And remember Rule 5, that this is about the just and expeditious resolution of the real issues. So mm. be disciplined about, about identifying the real issues and make it simple. I don't say keep it simple, Um and I'm borrowing there from something I read written by Justice Pat Keane, who said it's not about keeping it simple because it's not simple. It's about making it seem sim- simple, seem simple mm. so that it's in that way more persuasive. Mm. The practice direction talks about if, if it's a complex matter, 
emailing the outlines to the associate, to the senior judge the day before. I just wanted to say there's no definition of what a complex matter is. It's just a pragmatic thing. Mm. If in doubt, I would say email your submissions the day before. Nothing to be lost. No, that makes sense. You really just want to arm the judge with as much help as you possibly can to assist them to decide the application as quickly as possible. That's the whole aim of, of the application's jurisdiction. It's short matters where it's in everyone's interests that there is a decision made in a timely way. It won't always be able to be done on the day. If it's more complex, it might need to, might, some further thought might need to be given to it. Mm. So what would, be, what would be your advice to more junior practitioners who are struggling to know what to keep in and what to remove, particularly where there's emotion involved with their clients who who may be pressing them to include all of these bits and pieces that seem very important to them but may not be going to the issues at the heart of the matter. Well, there's a few points in in just in what you've said then, um, Sarah. The first one is I don't think it's necessarily answered by seniority versus less seniority it's 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 more of a skill and not everybody has it Mm. Uh, even even those who've been in practice for a long time so the next thing is or perhaps picking up the last point you made obviously practitioners owe their first duty to the court and it is hard it is hard to manage that relationship with your client where where they're really pressing you to include things or say things or put arguments but ultimately that's that's your job your Mm. job is to make those decisions and be able to persuade your client mm. for example that whilst those things might be very important to them that they're not either either not relevant mm. or won't assist the argument but I'm in saying that I know that that can be tricky in terms of the tips I think the ability to be discerning and disciplined about the the issues comes from really understanding the law that is involved in the particular matter that you're dealing with. You have Mm -hmm. to have a really good understanding of that and have put in the time and the effort to look at the legislation, look at the cases, read the cases and discern the principles because they tell you Mm. what matters. And then looking at the affidavit evidence and thinking dispassionately and objectively about what really is in dispute and what isn't. And if even if you might disagree on something, does it really matter to the outcome? So is that better for you just to park that and say, well, we don't concede that, but it doesn't matter. Mm. So we won't waste your time with that. Here's the thing that really matters. This is the dispute. It comes down to A and B. And here's why we say, for example, it's B. Mm. And the more precise you make the argument by reference to the legal principles, the more persuasive you will be just cutting away all the peripheral things that will not affect the outcome. Mm. So why waste time and energy debating them? Mm. Or, or equally, the things that might weaken <laughs> your argument. You know, you might want to say, well, let's not have too much of a fight about that. We'll just... <laughs> Look over here. We'll put it in a... We don't concede it, but it doesn't matter, and focus on the things. But really, I think it is just... It's, it's practice, mm-hmm. and it, it does take... a some confidence mm. to let things go so you know you'll the more you do it I think the the better you'll get at it but I do tend to think if you've really thought about the, the law mm. the what matters what doesn't matter comes into sharper focus mm. and it becomes a bit easier to it becomes a bit easier to manage that friction mm. Mm. 
It is a very loyally thing to cut to the chase, so to speak. On a personal note, does Your Honour have any advice for lawyers who may find themselves in conversation with, I don't know, their husband, for example, who may commence starting a very wordy story about something that happened to them during the day and you tend to say in response, yeah, 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 get to the point, what happened? Would you have any advice for somebody who fails at that particular emotional response on a regular basis? Okay, that's so life. Just, this is life advice now. Uh, that's what I wanted to ask. And I clarify the question, is this in conversations with your significant other? Correct. Or in other contexts? No, oh, no, personal mm. conversation. I do, I, I actually, I do it in, in personal conversations and I have to sort of retrain my brain that sometimes people just want to talk. Yeah, well, that that is a tricky thing and I won't... <laughs> I know that's I won't right. suggest I've actually mastered that because I, I think if my husband were listening, he would just be rolling his eyes and going, that's her, that's all she does. She just says to me, all right, you've told me all that. Don't repeat it. <clears throat> just get to the end. Get, tell, me the, tell me the short bit. Oh, so relatable. Uh, yeah. um, but on the other hand, in court, that's very true. Sometimes you do just need to give people the opportunity to say what they want to say. I'm more inclined to do that with a self-represented person because mm. my view is lawyers are in a different position they're not that they should know better they, they're not really there to say what they want to say they're there to do a job for their client but, yes. a, but a self-represented person may not appreciate which bits are particularly significant and and sometimes they 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 do just need to be given the opportunity to get whatever it is off their chest within reason mm. you know mm. you need to put sort of parameters around it but I wouldn't I wouldn't in that context jump in and say, that's not relevant, that's not relevant. That, I'd let them sort of say mm. what they want to say and then maybe at, at the end of it say, well, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about all these things. These three mm. are, are relevant to the matter I've got to decide. The others aren't, but I've, but I've noted that you've said them. Um, but I'm, I'm probably, I think we're all a bit time poor and yes. I think that's what draw the in personal conversations, that's <laughs> what might make me go... I don't have time for this in my head. I just need the short bit. I need the I need the um, truncated version. The cliff's notes. Yes. 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 Or, and don't tell me the story again. I don't know if your husband does that, but yes. mine tells me the story again. Yes. And I've heard it three times. And, and it's like, yeah, I heard you the first time. <laughs> and I told you the first time, tell me the short version. <laughs> what aren't you understanding? Mm. All right, I'm, 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 I'm relieved to hear it's not just me, I must, I must admit. That's, that's made me feel a lot better, Your Honour. Thank you very much. <laughs> Any sort of advice or, or, or insights that you would like to share to finish up? That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I've said a few times, I've had to talk a lot this year. Oh. <laughs> I, fear, I fear people might be sick of the how sound of my own voice. How, does, how or... does that feel? How does it feel to... It... Can I ask how does it feel to be Chief Justice? It's obviously a huge honour and wonderful in very many respects, but it also can be, I think it might be part of that whole imposter syndrome, but a sense of, you know, looking over your shoulder when someone says Chief Justice and going, oh, they must be standing behind me because that, that couldn't be me. But anyway, in all, a lot of the things I've said in various contexts this year, one of the themes has been something that is important to me, which is the importance of just being yourself and being authentically who you are, notwithstanding that we're part of this very old and established profession. Because I think particularly women, but not only women, 
have over time not always felt like they fitted in mm. because of where the profession came from and whether it was because of being a, a woman or because of you know the way you might dress or, or whatever mm. but I think there's a place and we know there is there's a place in the legal profession for for everybody it doesn't really matter what your background is what you look like all of those sort of things there's the things that matter are much more fundamental than that and I think encouraging everybody to to be themselves in their practice as a lawyer whilst otherwise obviously meeting all those objectively important fundamental requirements that come with being uh, admitted as part of the, the legal profession is very important and it's something that those of us in leadership positions have a have an ability to influence mm. because we can set an example I guess yes well thank you so much for your time I I have absolutely taken you away from far more important things and I'm honoured and delighted to have been able to share your thoughts and wisdom and insights uh, with, with with our audience. So thank you so much, Your Honour. That was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on The Briefcase. Remember to like, subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice if you haven't already. It's time to close her up. See you next time. I'm Sarah Crowell and this is The Briefcase.